0: ...that took the first English settlers to the James River and Jamestown. The lean, big-boned president must have looked like a long-legged water bird next to his sparrow-like guest, frail, wizened Alexander Stevens. Stevens was vice president of the Confederate States of America. The Confederacy was made up of 11 southern states that had decided to separate themselves from the rest of the United States. Those states were attempting to create a nation of their own, a slave nation. The North wasn't letting them do it. The union of states can't be broken any time a state decides it doesn't agree with the others, said the Northerners. Besides, slavery was wrong, they insisted. Those two issues, slavery and states' rights, had led to war, civil war, the worst war in our nation's history. These two men, Lincoln and Stevens, were war leaders and, presumably, enemies, and so this meeting was unusual. But they were both men of goodwill. They were meeting to talk about the future. They were meeting to talk about peace. It was now clear that the Civil War would soon be over. It was just a matter of time before the Confederate armies must surrender. Lincoln hoped to speed up that surrender. He hoped to convince Stevens to help end the war now. But the Confederacy's vice president still insisted on independence for the South. The war would continue for two more months. President Lincoln meant to reunite North and South. After four years of war, he knew that wouldn't be easy. Lincoln wanted to reestablish harmony. He wanted to erase the hatreds. He wanted to reconstruct the nation into a harmonious whole. But how did he intend to do it? What plans did he have for the South's slaves, who were soon to be free? What did he tell Stevens? If there are written records of their conversation, no one knows of them. Later, when others were leading the country, people asked, what would Lincoln have done to reconstruct the nation? For a powerful clue, all they had to do was read the Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal. It couldn't be clearer. The Declaration was the great fundamental principle upon which our free institutions rest, said Abraham Lincoln. And it wasn't just for some Americans. Lincoln said the Declaration was not merely the white man's charter of freedom. All Americans, he said, are entitled to the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, there were some citizens who just didn't seem to understand. Maybe they had never read the Declaration of Independence, or maybe they hadn't thought about what it says. Chapter 1 Reconstruction means rebuilding. The Civil War was over, and all across the land mothers and fathers buried their sons, wept, and tried to forgive the enemy now that they were pledging allegiance to the same flag. Most people seemed to understand that the country had to be made whole again. Its wounds needed to be bandaged. President Lincoln had been determined to use kindness in bringing the South back into the Union. Actually, Lincoln said the South had never left the Union. Some Southern people had rebelled. That was what had happened, Lincoln said. It was like a family fight. They were still part of the family. Lincoln wanted to make it as easy as possible for the nation to reunite. Others felt differently. Some Northerners were very angry. After all, it was the South that had started the war. It had been more terrible than anyone could have imagined. How should the North treat its former enemy? Should it be punished? Some thought the rebel leaders should be hanged. Did you ever lose a fight? Were you embarrassed and angry? White Southerners were angry, confused, hurt, and miserable. You can understand that. Their lovely, elegant, aristocratic South was in ruins. Their sons were dead. Everything they had fought for seemed gone. Gone with the wind, said one Southern woman in a famous book. A visitor to Charleston, South Carolina, wrote of Vacant Houses of widowed women, of rotting wharves, of deserted warehouses, of weed-wild gardens, of miles of grass-grown streets. Most of the South cities were in the same shape. And the countryside? We had no cattle, hogs, sheep, or horses, or anything else, a Virginian wrote. The barns were all burned, chimneys standing without houses, and houses standing without roofs or doors or windows. Across the South, everything seemed collapsed and disordered. There was no government, no courts, no post offices, no sheriffs, no police. Guerrilla bands looted at will. A generation of white Southern men was dead. Those who came home brought wounds with them. In 1866, the year after war's end, Mississippi spent one-fifth of its revenues on artificial arms and legs for returning veterans. Southern whites had to blame someone for their misery, and people don't like to blame themselves. So the former rebels blamed Northerners. They said everything that went wrong after the war was the Northerners' fault. And as for the Civil War itself, all they had tried to do, they said, was form their own nation. How could they forgive the North for stopping them? What of the four million black Southerners who were now freedmen and freedwomen What were they to do now? For many, freedom meant going somewhere, anywhere. But where were they to go? What were they to do? Should they be paid for all their years of past work? There were rumors that each former slave would get forty free acres of land and a mule to work it. Would that happen? Most of the ex-slaves couldn't read or write. They wanted to learn. Who would their teachers be? Many had no idea what freedom really meant. Some thought it meant they would never have to work again. Someone needed to do some organizing. Someone needed to maintain law and order. Help was needed. The time in the South after the Civil War, when people attempted to reorganize and remake the region without slavery, is called Reconstruction. How did it go? with a whole lot of confusion. It was the most promising, despairing, noble, awful, idealistic, reactionary, hopeful, hopeless time in all of American history. It didn't end up very well. Chapter 2 Who was Andrew Johnson? It was an actor's bullet that gave the country a new president. Now everyone was asking what kind of a man he was. People didn't know quite what to expect of President Andrew Johnson. He was almost exactly the same age as Abraham Lincoln, and, like the old rail splitter, he'd been a poor boy who had made his own way in life. Johnson had once been a tailor, but when he got up at a political meeting and began speaking, he found he had a talent he could captivate and hold an audience. Andy Johnson didn't have much education, but he was smart, and he soon became prosperous. His wife helped smooth his rough edges and taught him some book learning, too. He was a Democrat and a slave owner. In his home state, Tennessee, he became governor, congressman, and senator. He was in the Senate when the southern states, including Tennessee, seceded. He stuck with the Union, When Union forces captured Tennessee, President Lincoln made him military governor. He held that post during the war. He was often in danger. But Andrew Johnson was courageous. He was a good man for the job. Even though Johnson was a Democrat and Lincoln a Republican, Abraham Lincoln asked Andrew Johnson to be vice president. Now the awful war was over. It was time for healing. Most people were encouraged. Johnson seemed the perfect person to bring South and North together again. After all, Johnson was a Southerner who had had the courage to stay with the Union. Both Democrats and Republicans supported him. Perhaps it was all for the best. But those who knew Johnson weren't so sure. Yes, he had courage, no doubt about that. But he was also stubborn. Muelishly stubborn. He didn't ask for advice or listen when it was given. Lincoln asked questions, listened, and changed his mind when he thought it needed changing. He knew how to compromise. Andrew Johnson was uncompromising. He was like a wall, rigid. You know how walls act. They don't bend.